Good morning. So I looked at my calendar and I said, you know, the last time I stood up here for a divine service, it's been a while. The date was September 2, just to give you a little bit. So I'm glad to be back. I'm very thankful to be here. What a, what a beautiful day to be back. I love the, just being able to spend some time with Natalie. And also, um, what a beautiful Sabbath, isn't it? Last Sabbath and this Sabbath, we are so blessed. There is a lot that's happened since I've been here. And I can't wait to share some of that with you, but now is not going to be that time. <laughs> Next Sabbath, we will have a communion Sabbath. And also, in addition to that, we will also have a, a mission trip report. So you get a, a little idea of what took place on the mission trip where we were gone. And I think there's a couple other things. Next Sabbath will be a, a full, fun, blessed Sabbath. So I'm looking forward to it. Today... We're looking at a subject, our goal for the second half of this year, if you haven't, you might have sensed it, was to go through some of the fundamental teachings of the Bible. Just be familiar with it. It's good to be reminded of that. I like to do that uh, with our elder team once every other year. It might be even once a year. might not be a bad idea. So we're going to be looking at a subject that some of you may know well. Some of you may say, this is a good time for a refresher. Or some of you may say, this has been, I don't even know what you're about to talk about. So no matter where you're at, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us this morning. Amen? Could you bow your heads with me? Our Father, I recognize it is your Spirit we're asking to speak this morning. Please, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a young man walking through a graveyard. You may have heard the story, and this is what he read on a tombstone. Stop, my friend, as you go by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare yourself to follow me. The young man who read it was not satisfied with that thought. And so he took a little piece of chalk, a piece of uh, stone, and scratched underneath it these words. To follow you, I'm not content until I know just where you went. What happens when a person dies? It's a question that is a big issue in a lot of places. There are books been written on it, movies put out about it. There's a lot of sermons that have been preached on it. What takes place after we breathe our last? What takes place next? I'd like to take some time and just go through a basic understanding of what the Bible teaches. But before I do... I'd like to share something that's probably quite obvious with most of you. There's a lot of ideas out there. You know, um, when I was younger, I had to do something that I did not enjoy doing, and that was digging fence posts. Uh, we had moved to a new home, and we had to provide a place for our horse to be in. And so we had to dig fence posts, and some of you have seen those fancy, fan yeah, I didn't have those. Uh, we had uh, a shovel, well, it was kind of an old instrument, and my father had taken an axle that he, and, and reconfigured it to be in a digging iron is what we called it. And that is how we put in the holes. It was hard work. And when we had all the holes lined up, I want you to just imagine for sake of the story, I see one line out of, actually it's probably not for the sake of the story, probably really did happen. I see a hole that's not in line with all the other holes. Which hole do I fix? All the other ones that are in line or the one that's out of line? 
I say, you know what, let me readjust the one that's out of line. When we study this subject, you can't fix Scripture. Scripture is what it is. But what we are going to do is so, if one looks like it's disagreeing with the other 40 or 50, let's figure out. Maybe we're misunderstanding it. And so that's what I, I will do. If you have some additional questions afterwards, feel free to ask me. Um, for sake of time, I promise not to go through the typical hour and 15-minute version that this is. Okay? So, and by the way, I'm, I'm glad to see you. I drove in. I don't know if any of you noticed. I, I had to pull out almost to the front of the church to find a parking spot. That's awesome. I'm glad that we're all able to be able to gather this morning. So I'd like to start out with this. If you want to find answers of what takes place when you breathe your last, when you die, there is one place to look, and that is the Bible. So we are going to look at the Bible today and let that be our source, our information. Um, and specifically, I'd also like to point to some other great source. It's a source within the source, if you will. The Bible says in Revelation 1.18, speaking of Jesus, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell. That word is Hades, or the grave, and death. So Jesus was alive, was dead, and is alive forevermore. He should know what happens when a person dies. Now, there's another person in Revelation that is not given such a glorious picture. Uh, the Bible calls him the dragon or Satan. And the Bible says that he was cast out of heaven. But it's interesting, when it describes the dragon and Satan, Revelation 12, 9 uses this phrase, that old serpent. So with that in mind, uh, by the way, Jesus also gave a description of Satan. John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, Satan is the father of lies. Now with that introduction, the father of lies, the old serpent, I'd like to go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. So the Bible says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now this is an interesting story because when Adam and Eve were first placed in the garden, they were given access to the entire garden with one exception. That one exception was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 2. They weren't allowed to go there. And so Satan, speaking through the serpent, says, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And then the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, that was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then, it's very interesting, here's what the serpent says. The serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Wait, God said you will die. And the serpent says what? You shall not surely die. Which one told the truth? Who was it? God would surely die or Satan would not surely die? No question. We know God had to tell the truth, right? Now, many people believe that you die. In fact, I believe everyone believes you die. But in today's culture, and it's been this way for thousands of years, there are many who believe that you don't surely die. You die, but not surely. Um, I remember when I first arrived here, and I was spending some time, several months, with some good friends of mine. 
I would go for walks in the evening in the Centerville Cemetery. I'm not weird. It's just quiet there. And it's a good place to pray. And I walk around and pray. I was never afraid to be in the cemetery. You know why? We don't fear the dead. You've got to fear the living typically in life, right? I wasn't worried about that. But there are some who would not walk through a graveyard, especially this time of year, am I right? Because something weird is going to happen to them. Um, what does the Bible say? One of the best places we can look at this picture is I like to start with how man was created. When God created the trees, the Bible says, he said, and let there be, and it happened. He simply spoke and it took place. Let there be tigers. And I don't know if the word probably wasn't tiger, but there were tigers. God spake and it happened. But when God made mankind, humankind, it was different. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And then it says this, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Simply put, God formed man out of dust, breathed into him, and man became a living soul. Uh, if you were to make this a uh, math formula, it would look like that. Dust plus breath equals living soul. I find that important because both of these things are necessary for life. You need the body you have, and you need the breath that God gave you. This is what's necessary for living today. Um, that leads to another point, though, and that's Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Can a soul die? It can. If breath and dust together is a living soul, then you get rid of those, the soul will cease to exist. That's a, a soul that is dead. What, is you, what do you call it when you have that separation? How does the Bible describe it? It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and what happens next? And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And that word spirit is the same word that is used for breath. The breath, spirit, goes back to God, and the dust goes down to the earth. That is the picture we have here. What is that separation called? You know, this is almost so cerebral. I hope I don't lose this. But there's just a few points here, very elementary here, right? What is it called? Death. And here's how James puts it. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So if you're missing the breath and you still have the body, that's death. Or if the breath is there, but there is no body, you know, I've never quite seen that one. But yeah, that's death too, right? You need both of them together. Dust minus spirit equals dead body. And someone once put it this way, death is simply creation in reverse. In creation, God puts you together, and death is coming back apart. How does Jesus describe death? And I'm going to take a little bit of time on this because the Bible says Jesus was the one that was alive, it was dead, and it's alive forevermore. So if there's someone, I want to really listen to what they're saying. Uh, not that I should listen, not listen to Ecclesiastes and Solomon, but I want Jesus, I want to find out what Jesus has to say about death. And here's what he has to say. It's a story. It's found in John chapter 11. Some of you are probably pretty familiar with it. It's one worth retelling. Jesus has some good friends. Not just 
people that he mingled with inside the crowd. These are the people he went to their house, spent time with them. Two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Well, one day Lazarus got sick, and the sisters knew that Jesus would not want that to happen. So they sent a special message to Jesus. Again, this story is in John 11. They sent a special story, uh, a message to Jesus saying, please come, and we want you to do something with Jesus, uh, Lazarus. Could you heal him, please? And they didn't even ask him to be healed. Just, he's sick. They figured all you have to do is say he's sick, and he'll come. And you know what? Jesus didn't come. He just stayed there. Kept doing his ministry where he was at. And the disciples were looking, saying, well, something's not right with Jesus. And then the next day he waited. Finally, Jesus says this in John chapter 11, verse 11. These things said he, that's Jesus, and after that he said unto them, our friend Lazarus, what? Sleepeth or sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. He's sleeping. And here's what the disciples thought. Actually, he didn't. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleep, he's doing well. Those of you who are parents, and you've, uh, or actually, you don't have to be parents, but I remember seeing children when they're sick and they're screaming and yelling. When they fall asleep, it's like, man, health is coming back, right? And they're saying, hey, if he's sleeping, Lazarus is sleeping, health is coming back to him. That's good. And then this is what happens next. Howbeit Jesus spoke of what? His death. But he had thought that they had thought. He was taking, spoken of taking of rest in sleep. There we go. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I want you to note something interesting in this before we go to the rest of the story. In Jesus' mind, he said sleeping was the same as what? Death. Sleeping was a term for death. Let me put it that way. That might be a better way of saying it. Sleeping was a term for death. Um, when you sleep, uh, when you're young, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting older and sleep doesn't quite happen this way anymore. But when you sleep and you're young, you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning. I think I had a young and just tell me that. Was it yesterday or today? Daddy, I slept and I didn't know anything until I woke up. I was like, that's great. That's great. You try not to be jealous of your children when you hear them say that. That is sleep. And that's the sleep that Jesus is trying to say. You don't even know what happens. That's the picture of, of death that's happening. Well, Jesus is then taken to, uh, he goes there. Martha comes out to see him. Mary comes out to see him. They say, if you were here, he would not have died. And then they take him to the grave. And when they go to the grave, Jesus asks them to move the stone away from the grave. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, you remember this, right? What were that? Come forth. And as one preacher has said, the reason he had to say Lazarus, because if he just said come forth, every tomb would have popped open. Because the word of God has power. It's creative power. But he says Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say Lazarus, come down. He didn't say Lazarus, come up. He said Lazarus, what? Come forth. And, uh, and there it is. I love the power of a keynote presentation, right? There it is, resurrection, right in the screen in front of you. Lazarus comes forward. Um, something interesting, what would have happened if Lazarus had gone to heaven when he died? Do you think he would have been happy when Jesus said, come back here, Lazarus? 
stop the party, come back down. No, of course not. Lazarus was sleeping according to what Jesus said. Isn't that what Jesus said? Lazarus is sleeping. And that's the picture that we see being described here. All right. You know, the Old Testament writers actually use this phrase, slept or rested with their fathers, as expression for death. It's used throughout. In fact, I think I have a few um, here. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. This is David. Light to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And so just a few verses. I always like to do this just to kind of emphasize the point. Now, I remember sleeping like a sleep of death. Now, I have not died, but I slept really hard. There is a lot of verses here. I was traveling from Arkansas to Virginia all night long. And then when I arrived early in the morning in Virginia, I grabbed a quick shower, got my breakfast, then drove another two hours across the mountain to the elementary school where I was doing my student teaching. Then I got on a bus with 24 fifth and sixth graders for a field trip week, science week. I was a little worn out. After, I had no idea where we visited that first day. But our job was that we, we connected with about four or five other schools. And the boys all slept in the gymnasium and the girls slept in the classrooms, right? And they put us out on gymnastic mats. And so it wasn't just the, the 12 boys that were from the school I was with. There was 12 to 15 boys from every school that, was in, that had come together. So about 60, 70, 70 kids there. Well, I fell asleep. Now, based upon what I told you, I was tired. And I slept. Slept solid. And I didn't know until the next morning that the kids had not slept solid. They had been acting up, and so the teachers, the male teachers, decided they were going to punish them around midnight. They hadn't fallen asleep yet. I went to sleep around 9. They made them run a 100 laps around the gym that I was sleeping in, bellowing at the top of their lungs. And one of them, I was told, hit me, stumbled across my body, and I never woke up. You know why? I was sleeping without knowing anything. The Bible describes death like that. It's a sleep where you have no idea what's taking place. In fact, there's a couple descriptions that are had here. Um, some of this is, a, is rather, rather blunt. I'm going to walk through this step by step and then uh, tell you why I'm so glad this is true. What else takes place when a person dies? This is um, speaking in the book of Acts. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on, what's that next word? So he's sleeping, uh, which is a word for death, and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. What else happens with David? Uh, we find this out. This is another, David they like preaching about. People enjoyed preaching about David in the book of Acts. So here you have Peter preaching about David in Acts chapter 2, verse 29 and 34. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of who? The patriarch David, that he is both what? Dead and buried. And then it says, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. For David is what? Wait, wait, wait. What is that? Not ascended into the heavens. This is Peter preaching Pentecost Sunday. 
David hasn't gone to heaven. This is a thousand years after David dies. He's not ascended into the heavens. Um, I have a question. How do you feel about that? Well, don't tell me. Let, me. let me share with you how I feel about it. My grandma passed away. Oh, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it's probably about 30 years ago now. A little, little less than 30. And she was such a special lady. Uh, would pray for us, I know. Taught me my first hymn on the piano. Um, when he cometh, when he cometh. And I remember still playing that on their piano in her, in her living room. She would sit on the couch and she would play her songs. And she was a, a spiritual force, if I can say, in our family. Well, she passed away. I am so glad that she's sleeping. See, there's, I won't go into all the details, but there's a lot of pain that's happened in our family since she has passed away. Pain that if she could see it, heaven wouldn't be heaven for her. She's resting. No fear. No sorrow at what she saw. No anger. Resting peacefully, waiting for her Lord to call her from her rest. You know, there's a, a few more texts that kind of describe what takes place or what happens or the experience of someone who is, who's, as the Bible said, gone to sleep. The living know that they shall die. And uh, I was going to pick on Ruth, but thank you, Ruth, if you're with here. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Then it clarifies, neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Now, this doesn't mean we don't remember them. It means they don't remember. Their memory is gone. And then it goes on and says this. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. You know, I get excited when I read this. Here's why. There is a, there is a restaurant down in the southwest that actually specializes in scaring people. You know, I think at this time of year, that's what a lot of people like. They want to go scary. There are some really scary places. Um, one place, they guarantee that you will freak out or your money's back. Um, and I think that there's some more things involved in that than, anyhow, I digress. Uh, we, we will we discuss that. But there is a restaurant down in the Southwest where um, supposedly a cowboy died there and his spirit still reigns in the restaurant. This is what is told. According to what the Bible says, that's not true, but this is what is told. The Bible says their love, their hatred, and their envy is gone. Well, you can sit there and you can hear the cowboy boots and the spurs walking near the tables as you sit there and eat. Now, the Bible actually says that there are spirits of devils who work miracles, so I want to be crystal clear. I think people do hear stuff. I don't think it's all hidden speakers trying to make people scared, although that may be it too. I think that there is demonic miracles, but it's not that cowboy because the Bible says his love and his hatred and his envy is gone. You don't have to fear the cowboy. Remember, there is no fear of that which is dead. The living, and of course, you and I have a Savior, so we don't even need to fear that, Amen. Amen? I just want to make sure, because we do live in fearful times. 
Verse 10 says, uh, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that's done under the sun. Actually, that was verse 6. Verse 10 says, for there is no work, nor device, nor what? Knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest, or where you're going. There isn't, you can't expect someone to come back from the dead, first of all, because they're sleeping. And second of all, they have nothing to tell you, right? There is no knowledge. There is no wisdom. There's no information. Uh, can the dead praise God? Now, this is one thing they should be able to do is praise God. I mean, right? God inhabits the praise of his people. Surely, one thing you should be able to do is praise God, even if you can't know anything. I know that doesn't make sense, but I thought I'd say it. Isaiah chapter 38. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 38, and we're going to read verse 18. Every now and then when I have so many scriptures up on the screen, it's good for us to actually get in our Bible and turn it for a couple of these, right? Isaiah chapter 38. In verse 18, the Bible says this, for the grave cannot what? The grave cannot praise you. Death cannot celebrate you. Those that go down into the pit cannot hope for what? Once you're sleeping, there is no more praise time for the who is sleeping. When I'm sleeping, unless I'm talking in my sleep, which I did when I was younger, I don't, I don't think I do it that much anymore. But when I'm sleeping, nothing's coming out of my mouth except maybe a snore or two, right? But I'm not praising. Notice what it says in verse 19. The living, the living, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known your truth. Friends, today is the day to praise God. While you're alive while you have breath in your lungs. You know, there's uh, another passage here. Will we, will we be able to remember God when we're dead? Uh, again, these are, I'm just emphasizing this point. David in Psalms chapter 6, verse 5, For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks. We have seen from Solomon, we're seeing in Isaiah, we're seeing from Jesus, we're seeing from David this consistent picture when you are sleeping, the sleep of death, it's a sleep. And there is not any emotions connected with it. Dreamless sleep, I want to clarify that. All right. Doesn't the Bible teach that man has an immortal soul? And that is a great question. Because it is something that is preached a lot, so I thought I'd just touch on it briefly. Um, there is a text that has the word immortal in it. Would you like to look at it? Okay, there it is. Let's, uh, 1 Timothy 1.17. 1 Timothy 1.17. So if you're looking for 1 Timothy, it's towards the back of the Bible. Um, if you've gone to Hebrews, you've gone too far. If you've gone to Thessalonians, you're to the next verse over. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. The Bible says, now unto the king, eternal. What's the next word? Immortal, invisible, and only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Who is it talking about? It's talking about God. He's the only one who's immortal. Immortal means unable to die. Yes? Mortal means able to die. And we can see that uh, in several places. Romans 6 is one of them. One last verse on this topic, then we're going to switch a little bit here in this broad picture. 
As the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away, this is Job speaking, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. And he's not speaking about the resurrection. He's clearing it up right here. Notice what he says in verse 10. He shall return, what? No more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. Thank you, Job. I think that's an important point. There are stories of mothers who've lost children where the children show up in their bedroom at night and talk to them. That's what the Bible says. Not, I mean, excuse me, that's what history says. We've seen this. But the Bible tells us that they don't go back to their house. So what is it? Well, it's not the child. It's something else. Again, uh, we will touch on this briefly. Can this kind of thing where people who claim to be dead show up and claim to be alive? Could this thing take place in Christianity? It does. Apparitions worldwide. Specifically, I think of, um, of Mary because that's probably the main one, but there are other things that happen. This takes place. It's claiming, hey, we've got uh, real living proof. We've seen her. Thousands have seen. But what is being seen, according to the Bible, isn't really Mary. I, you know what I like to share? Jesus is making sure that his mother gets her sleep. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying, right? Mary is sleeping, waiting the resurrection, like every other person in the Bible. Um, since the dead are surely dead, what are these apparitions? And again, this is the quote I've been sharing with you, Revelation 16, 14, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles. This is something that's a big thing that happens in the end of time and has been happening for a long time. Miracles can take place. Just because you see a miracle doesn't mean God's in it. Satan can do miracles. In fact, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 14 says that Satan can appear as an angel of light. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, a lot of cartoons. And uh, you always uh, had these little demons, right? All dressed in red with little horns sticking out of them and little pitchforks. And uh, that's how I always imagined. But the Bible says that Satan can appear as an angel of light. He can make it look like he's good. So then how can you and I know what's truth? We have to have a foundation that we depend, and that is the revealed word of God. We look here for truth because it's too confusing to trust your feelings and emotions because they can change. I can't ask you, but I can tell you for me, I can wake up one day happy and the next day sad. Yes? I can't depend upon my emotions to determine what is right and wrong. There is one PhD that says one thing and another PhD that says another thing. I can't depend on ecclesi uh, academicians to tell me what is right. We're in a confusing world. But there is one thing that doesn't change. Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can depend on this. Paul in 2, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy says this. Now the Spirit speaks expressly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and 
doctrines of devils. You know, it's interesting. Some of these apparitions actually have interesting statements. One of them was, don't you worry. Everyone's going to go to heaven anyhow. Just have a good time. Does that sound like the rest of the Bible? No. It's not a picture we give. It is a false teaching. So how does God regard it when people, uh, when these demons are doing these miracles? Does he think it's good? Obviously not. But notice this passage. This is found in Leviticus 20, verse 27. A man also or woman that has a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. So someone who claims to have power to communicate with the dead, which is really communicating with a, what's the word that's used here? Familiar spirit. That person was supposed to be removed in the theocracy of the kingdom of Israel. So quick review. Um, Satan said man wouldn't die. God said men would surely die. We've determined that we can trust God. Yes? Dust plus breath equals a living soul. So if you want to have a soul, you need to have two things. Dust plus breath. If you're missing one of the two, you don't have the soul any longer. Number three, Jesus says that death is as sleep. In fact, it wasn't just Jesus, was it? We saw that whole long list of scriptures. Death is used to describe sleep throughout the Bible. Number four, man doesn't have an immortal soul. Immortal soul. In fact, the only place you see it is God only hath immortality, right? And then number five, um, I think that I have a repeat there, and I have, uh, yeah, so enjoy that one. Maybe that's the one that we need to have double of today. Is there a time when man becomes immortal? There is. And let's see that it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. How many are familiar with Handel's Messiah? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I wish I could sing this to you right now. You may be glad I can't sing it to you right now, but uh, what a great piece. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. What does sleep mean? Die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, without corruption. And then it says this, and we shall, and we also shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption. Don't you love Paul's writing? We're getting the big picture here, right? Let's finish it up, though. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, what? Amen. No longer will there be mortals after Jesus' second coming. Mortality is gone. It's life forevermore. What a beautiful, beautiful picture here in 1 Corinthians. When is the resurrection? When does it take place? Well, I'll let Jesus tell us, and then we'll look at what Paul has to say. Uh, did you know Jesus, actually, I'm going to let you see what Paul says first, and then we'll see what Jesus says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So 1 Corinthians 15, I call it a resurrection chapter. 
We just read about the resurrection already on our screen. Let's look at verse 22 and 23 here. Verse 22 and 23 of 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ when? At his coming. Life comes when Jesus comes. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, he that has the Son has life. Life comes when Jesus comes. Now, we can look at this in a spiritual sense too, can't we? When Jesus comes into our heart and lives, life comes. And at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, we will have life again. Jesus, this is what I was hoping to refer to before. This is a sermon of Jesus. It's found in John 6. John is the guy who really just records sermons of Jesus. He's a great sermon recorder, and this is one of them. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, Jesus is spoken, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again when? At the last day. He goes, all the Father has given me, I will raise up in the last day. Notice what he says in our next verse here. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son of God and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up when? Last day. This is the second time in that sermon Jesus said it. Verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will what? Raise him up. When? At the last day. Jesus is very clear. There is a special time where he will be reunited with his people, and that time is when? The last day. Now, we also saw in 1 Corinthians it would be at the last trump. And so I believe the last day and the last trump are the same time. We're about to see that. And I think, yes, there is one more time in this sermon. John 6, verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has what? Eternal life. And I will raise him up when? At the last day. My friends, there's no question in Jesus' mind when he is going to be together with his people again. At the last day. Who is resurrected? That's a good question. Um, remember what it said, as in Adam die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So I get the idea that everyone's going to be resurrected. Well, that's kind of an interesting concept. You know that you've made a good point when you get that kind of agreement. Amen? All right, here we go. Marvel not at this, Jesus says, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves. How many? All that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, this is part of a series. I know it sounds weird, but I'm going to be with you all four Sabbaths in a row. I am so excited. I'm glad. I have, again, this is after a two-month dearth, right? Okay, I'm glad to be back. Next week, we'll have communion. But on the 18th, we will have part two. And that is the resurrection of damnation. It's not the title of the sermon, but I'm going to be looking at the subject of the millennium. 
And then on the weekend after that, I'll finish up the whole picture, uh, one last one. So we have a three-part. This is part one. Um, yes, so we will continue to tie these together. So there are two resurrections, the Bible says. We're looking at the first one. When is the resurrection of life? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Paul says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And then it uses this phrase, and the dead in Christ shall what? Rise first. Now, I think it says first for two reasons. One, because this is the first resurrection. And second, well, I think it's the rest of the chapter. Uh, you know what? I didn't put the rest of the chapter in there. The rest of the chapter. We'll, we'll come back to it in just a few slides. So the other reason is, at Jesus' second coming, the dead in Christ will rise, and then we will join them. I started out or shared a story about my grandma. Again, a special person in my life, a spiritual influence. By God's grace, when she is raised, I will then join her. There's this idea in the Bible of community. In our independent North American mind, we don't have it as much. But in God's mind, we do things together. Together with each other and together with God. Probably the most famous prayer in the Bible is the Lord's Prayer, right? It doesn't say my Father, which is in heaven. It says what? Our Father. There is this community feel all throughout the Bible. And this is one more time we see it. Everyone together experiencing heaven for the first time. Let's continue. So what, um, I think we're going to, what happens at the resurrection? It continues in verse 16 and 17. Then we which are alive and remain, those who are on the earth, and they remain after all the, the craziness that happens right around Jesus' second coming, shall be caught up together with them, those who have just been resurrected, and will be caught up together with them where? In the clouds. Remember, Jesus comes with the clouds, and we are going to join him in the clouds. And then it says to meet the Lord in the air, not on the planet, in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a promise is given here. And then you find out why it was given. Um, if you actually have 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18, it says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We are not separated forever. It's not, sometimes it feels like forever. But God's goal is to bring not just him and us together, but us and our loved ones here, all together forever. That is God's goal with the story of redemption. Luke 14, 14. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Again, Jesus is making a very clear picture here. I'd like to close with a question that comes up oftentimes. What about the thief on the cross? Uh, there's a couple other questions that I would love to discuss, like what, what about the rich man and Lazarus? That's another fence post I think that sometimes gets a little bit crooked, right? And what about absent from the body and present with the Lord? Now, why do I throw these out there? Because I'm hoping you ask me. Okay? Okay, I'm hoping you ask me. But we're going to look at one of them, and that is what about the thief on the cross? This is one of my favorite stories. 
because this statement is one of the greatest statements of faith in all the Bible. Here is a young man who got in with the wrong crowd. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He starts to follow Jesus, but the people tell him, don't follow Jesus. Don't get involved with that religious fanatic. You can read about this in a great book called The Desire of Ages. And so he pulls away and he starts getting involved with crime. And as he gets involved with it, he gets connected with some guy called Barabbas. And soon he is involved with this life of thievery, robbery, delinquency. And he gets caught. On the same day that Jesus is crucified, he is crucified next to Jesus. And as he's there and the other thief is cursing at Jesus, and they both say, free us both, he remembers quite a few things. He remembers the, the Holy Spirit speaking to his heart early on. He remembers the women who came following Jesus with the cross, crying, and how Jesus turned around and said, don't weep for me, weep for your children. He remembers how Jesus said, Lord, forgive them, as the nails were pounded in his hands. He remembers all of this. And he turns over and he sees that sign above the head of Jesus saying, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And at that point, the Holy Spirit opens and reveals to his mind, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the one who's come to save us from our sins. He sees it when everyone else has given up hope. He sees in Jesus what no one else sees. And then he says this, Lord, you don't say Lord to a man who can't do anything with his hands nailed to a cross. He says, Lord, remember. You don't say remember to a dying man unless you believe he's going to be resurrected. Lord, remember me. Too many times in our Christianity, we think that Christianity is for somebody else. Promises are for somebody else. Hope is for somebody else. But a man on the cross who made tons of mistakes and had no chance to change it knew that Jesus loved him personally. Lord, remember me. I challenge you today. Start using me when you're talking with God. Religion is not just a thing. You should have a relationship personal with God. Like this thief. Remember me, and I love this, when you come in your kingdom. He knew Jesus was going to come back. He knew that this was not the end. This is a statement of faith like almost none other. Notice Jesus' response. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. One of the most powerful verses in Scripture. Now some of you say, wait a minute. <laughs> Look what it just said. Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, I find it interesting, and you will too, that Jesus didn't go to heaven that day. In fact, a few days later, on Sunday morning, Jesus appears to Mary, and this is what he tells her. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So the question then is, why did he say what he said? Well, he didn't say what it says he said, because he said, well, he did say, you ready? Let's look at it. The Bible was not written with punctuation. I have looked at some 
ancient Greek manuscripts just because that's part of my study at times. And I can tell you I'm glad I don't have to read ancient Greek. There is no breaks between the words. It's just one long, nonstop symbol of Greek. There isn't breaks between words. There's no punctuation. There's no spaces between words. Somehow they knew it. Um, so we have to remember that. When it was written, it wasn't written with the punctuation. Um, so you could put it this way. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Or you could change, just put the comma at another place. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I'm telling you today, when my hands are nailed on a cross, I'm telling you today, when my disciples are run away from me, I'm telling you today, when my mother is fainting at the cross because her hope is gone, I'm telling you today, when the people mock me and think that everything is one, I'm telling you today, when Satan is gloriously happy, I'm telling you today, you are going to be with me in paradise. Today, when everyone else has no hope, I'm telling you that I am still king. I am still savior, and nothing can stop me from taking you with me. I'm telling you today. What a beautiful picture that we see here. Now, uh, there is other places in the Bible where we see um, misplaced commas, at least in the King James Version. Here's one of them. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, uh, it should be sick, comma, handkerchiefs or aprons, comma. There is no such thing as a sick handkerchief or a sick apron, right? Um, and the diseases departed from those handkerchiefs and the evil spirits went out of them. No, just by having a misplaced comma, we can get some really interesting doctrine coming out, right? So we want to, all right. And this is one just for our humor as we close up. A woman without her man is nothing. Thank you, Rhett. I was hoping for some kind of response there, right? Okay, here it is, brother. Let's, let's correct it without it, right? A woman, without her, man is nothing. You got that a minute, Dobby? Make sure, right, brother? No. So this is key. You want to make sure you get the punctuation in the right place. But in all of this, I don't want to miss the final message here. And that's not that. That's not the final message. I did not realize that was the next slide. Here it is. This is our final message today. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? I don't know. I say this often because I don't want to know. I don't know your past. I don't know your struggles. I can pray with you. But the reality is there's things that each one of us have in our hearts and our lives that no one else knows about but we have a Savior who does. That's good news. In spite of what we face, we can say this, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And the response to us is no different. I'm telling you today, not tomorrow, not when you got it all right. I'm telling you today, you will be with me in paradise. What a promise of faith. Every time you and I go through and we look at the situation, what happens when a person goes to sleep, we're reminded that we have a God who loves us and cares for us. He allows his beloved to sleep. I love that. 
In the last few years, my heart has been broken here time and time again. As I see friends, mentors pass away. It took me harder, it shook me much harder than I thought it would, quite frankly. I remember when I first came to visit six and a half, seven years ago. And I thought, man, what great people. I sure hope I'm not here when anyone goes to sleep. And it wasn't because I was trying to leave. But who wants to see your friends go to sleep? And then as I mingled and spent time with one person after another, and I realized God had gifted this church with incredible mentors, incredible people. It just, it shook me. But I remind myself of Revelation 14, verse 13, over and over again. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. The final book of the Bible makes it crystal clear that our loved ones are resting, waiting for that glorious second coming. Today, we have sorrow because we remembered. We have joy because there's hope for even you and me. There's hope for the thief, there's hope for us, amen? that he can say the same thing to us as he said to that thief. And I hope by God's grace we have faith to trust him. Trust an incredible God who loves us and loves our loved ones. Amen? Could we pray together as we end up this before we sing our closing song? Our Father in heaven, we've been reminded again of this beautiful picture of resting, that our loved ones are not in pain or, or seeing our pain, but they're resting from their labors. And now, Father, please draw close to us because it's now our day. It's our time to live. It's our time to give what we have and to connect with you because you love us so much. Lord, please remember us when you come in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.